This is Animals Voice Podcast, presented by the Ontario SPCA, with 50 communities working together for animal welfare. We've got another great show for you on the way, so put your paws up, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Animals Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McKenzie, and very glad you joined us this week, because we're going to be tackling an important topic for not just pet owners, but everybody, um, talking about grief and how to deal with loss. And we're joined by our special guest this week, Russell Friedman. Russell is the director of the Grief Recovery Institute and also the author of the Grief Recovery Handbook for Pet Loss. How are you, Russell? I am wonderful and honored to be with you today. Russell has joined us by Skype for this interview today. So if the recording sounds a little different than normal, you understand that's why. Now, Russell, we'll dive right into this. When you joined the Institute, I guess that was in 1986, did you imagine you would ever write a book on the topic of grieving a pet? Well, you know, it's a great question. I've, I've done, what, two or 3,000 interviews. I've never had that question. And it's a glorious question because my answer is really odd. Not only would I not have ever imagined writing a book on this topic, but on any other topic, because I didn't even imagine myself as a writer. I was a talker. I had been in the restaurant business. I was a host. I could talk you into submission, but I couldn't put a sentence together to save my life on paper. And I had to learn to write. My partner, John W. James, who's the founder of our institute, just kind of He didn't demand or force. He said, look, if you're going to be here, you're going to have to do this. So I I even had to learn how to type with a letter fall thing on the computer. (laughs) And then I had to learn how to put sentences together. And then I started to imagine, how did I ever graduate high school English? I had to relearn grammar and everything. So I, I, I love your question. Now, the interesting thing, here we are, what, almost 30 years later, and I can't imagine myself not a writer. I think like a writer. When when some, a subject comes up, I start imagining how I would put it on paper. So it's been an incredible ride, and, and I'm thrilled for it. And, and, and thank you for the question. It's a great question. So you wrote the Grief Recovery Handbook for Pet Loss, and I can't tell you how many times I talk with donors of the Ontario SPCA, and so many of the donors I spend time with have lost a pet. And they're struggling with that loss. And it's a real thing. And, you know, people that maybe haven't lost a pet can't relate to just how painful that is. So I, first of all, I want to say that I think it's tremendous that you wrote the Grief Recovery Handbook for Pet Loss. Can you explain, though, why we find grieving the loss of our pets so painful? Well, it is probably the more difficult question I'm ever asked to answer, and I'm I'm asked to answer it every day, because it is somewhat intangible. I can tell you that a huge percentage of people who call here, and I talk to hundreds of people a week who are grieving pet owners, will tell me without even being prompted that the death of their pet has been more painful for them than the death of their parent, the death of their spouse, sometimes even the death of a child. Now, I know that sounds awkward. And it is awkward to the degree that we at the Grief Recovery Institute never promote or suggest the idea of comparing losses. Loss can't be compared. All loss is experienced at 100%. I've never met a half a griever. And we grieve at 100% of our relationship to the person or animal or event that was the loss or grief event. Yet, uh, what I think is going on, Kevin, 
is because the people around grieving pet owners don't appear to acknowledge or allow them their grief, they dismiss it. For example, the first page of the book, The Grief Recovery Handbook for Pet Loss, the opening chapter is entitled, quote, Don't Feel Bad, comma, it was only a dot, dot, dot. And in the dot, 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 you put dog, cat, horse, cockatoo, whatever, pet died. And the use of the word only in the idea of don't feel bad, it was only a dog, tears the heart out of the grieving pet owner all over again. Only is dismissive, as if you shouldn't. How dare you have that much feeling? It was only a dog. Now, to make the point even more strongly, on that same first page of the book, it asks this question. Imagine if your mother died and someone said, don't feel bad, it was only a mother, or don't feel bad, it was only a woman. You would be righteously homicidal. I mean, how dare someone say like that? And yet the dog who is your most unconditional loving Mm -hmm. relationship for most people, not everybody, and unconditional in its own unique way is dismissed entirely with the only word. So that's where we started the book. And in a way, I think Kevin explains why people use perhaps some hyperbole to say it is more painful than any other loss they ever had is just to try to get you to hear them, to get you to listen that this has really torn their heart out. And it really is part of the heart of the matter that grieving pet owners are the most isolated of all grievers because nobody listens to them or gives credit to their broken heart. So in answering that question, I think you've told me how we can be of support to coworkers or friends or family who have lost a pet. You have to show empathy and compassion and, and listen. Listening is the, is the key word, I think, that you just used, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I would even add to that, we use a phrase that says, be a heart with the ears. And I love the imagery of that. Over our, our years, many people have created little physical objects to show the idea of a heart with ears, you know, a, a graphic uh, representation. The problem is that the people who don't love pets, don't know pets, don't have relationship with pets, somehow they dismiss it as we open the book with it, as you and I are talking. So we did write the book obviously for grieving pet owners, but I must tell you, Kevin, that half of our hearts were dedicated to the non-pet owners around the grievers to say, hey, please listen, please don't judge, please don't say dismissive things. You got someone with a broken heart, and now you're stomping on them with their boot and making them feel worse. What kind of friendship is that? You know, we didn't say it that harshly, but you can feel how strongly I feel about it, because every day I have to talk to grieving people who can't understand why their own family members, sometimes their own spouse, is dismissing them out of hand while they are devastated. I think you've really underscored the importance of not being dismissive with somebody, even if you can't relate to the loss of an animal. Certainly, I think what I'm hearing you say is you can't be dismissive and pessimistic with that person who's experienced the loss. On the flip side of that, do you have advice for what is helpful to say to somebody? Yes, and this is going to take everybody by surprise. I'm going to give you two specific pieces, both of which will come under the most important heading when it comes to this topic, and that is tell the truth about yourself all the time. In other words, you're the friend, you're uh, someone you know has had a pet die. You don't know their truth, and you do not have the permission or the right to give them advice because almost never have they asked you. They didn't say, hey, Kevin, I'm feeling bad. What should I do? I mean, if they said, that you could give them advice if you had any but what we need to do sounds like this so let's say 
hey, you're my friend and I find out your, your pet died and I would call you or I would be in physical person with you and say, hi, Kevin. Gosh, buddy, I heard what happened and I don't know what to say to you. And the odds are that you're going to jump in my arms and hug me and say, thank you for telling me not to feel bad. Thank you for telling me not to go get another dog tomorrow. Thank you for not telling that time heals all wounds. Now, the other one, and perhaps the best single piece of language, okay? Kevin, I heard what happened, and I can't even begin to imagine what this has been like for you. And I want you to notice when I say that, my voice goes up at the end. It doesn't sound like an interrogation. It's a gentle request for you to tell me. Now, most people say, well, how did it make you feel? And you're going to say, how do you think I felt, pal? My dog got run over by a truck. You know, we never say to a grieving person, human or animal um, grief, uh, how did it make you feel? Because that automatically shuts them down. They think you're going to judge them. But notice when I said, gosh, I can't imagine what this has been like for you. It's an open-ended invitation for you to talk about how you feel with the implicit idea that I will not judge you or dismiss you in any way. And I got to tell you, I have spent thousands of hours of my life listening and talking with people after just saying, gosh, I can't imagine what this has been like for you. My wife says, honey, you weren't home. You were coming home at five. It's eight o'clock. I, well, I asked someone, you know, I said, I can't imagine. And she said, oh, I know what happened. They needed to tell you the story because no one else would listen. So those two things, I don't know what to say, which is always true because there isn't a right thing to say to a griever. The right thing to one person could be the wrong thing to another or from one minute to the next. The other is, I can't imagine what this has been like for you. And the word imagine in English is the most open-ended, non-judgmental word. It does say, I will listen without judgment. And that, in a nutshell, those two things are the best. I've used them each 20,000 times, never had either of them backfire on me once. What can you do in the case of someone who is grieving a loss of a pet that they had to make the tough decision to put down. I feel like that might be a different sort of grief because they're probably dealing with guilt or other emotions associated with that choice. This is, of course, a brilliant question and one that I literally, I probably have to deal with this question 10 times a day. Calls from strangers, people who know me, know what I do. And either it's before they've had to make the decision or they've, they've made it and they feel badly. My guidance, and again, I don't give advice because you get the consequence of your action. So you must always make your own choice or decision of what you do or not do based on the results that you imagine. But what, one of the things that's hardest is people are so afraid, Kevin, of their feelings. So when there's a situation where medically there is no hope for their pet and the vet has made it as clear as humanly possible, that the dog can't be saved and all that can happen is the dog's going to be there be in mortal pain or is going to be on so much on meds there is absolutely zero quality of life they're just like in a coma and it's a really awkward thing because then the griever starts imagining how they will feel once the pet dies and with that they get scared of their own feelings because most people are not well schooled in dealing with their grief whether it's over the death of a human or a pet or a divorce so they don't have what they don't have a toolkit for grief so they get scared the unfortunate byproduct is keeping the pet alive at the expense of pain anguish and so on and so forth so what i do to people i say look 
if you knew that by not taking the indicated action that the vet has made real clear to euthanize the pet, and that being the most humane and loving thing with the best advice you get, if you can keep the pet alive and then at the end not feel bad about having done that, that's your choice. But if you imagine that you keep the pet alive against medical advice and the pet really suffers more and more, will you be able to live with yourself? So rather than giving advice, I ask them that question. If you can live with yourself, that's your choice. If you can't, then you have to really consider the decision. I can tell you a personal story. It happened just a few blocks from where I'm sitting now. Years ago, our dog, Chloe, had the cancer. We spent thousands of dollars trying to get it fixed, and it didn't work. And it came to a point where we had to make the decision, Kevin. And we said to the vet, Dr. Steve Abelafia, we said, Steve, how will we know? And he said, watch her. She will tell you. And one fateful morning, I woke up and I looked in Chloe's eyes and I knew when I looked, my wife looked and my stepdaughter looked and we all knew. We went down to the doctor with the dog and he looked and he knew. And blessedly for us, we never looked back because we followed the vet's advice that the dog somehow would communicate, I can't do this anymore. And so that's only my personal story. I've heard other people echo it. It's a good thing to look at. And, and then instead of questioning, you, you let the dog help you find the answer. Again, along with the best medical advice possible. Sound advice. Uh, thank you so much. Fascinating discussion so far with Russell Friedman, the director of the Grief Recovery Institute and the author of the Grief Recovery Handbook for Pet Loss. We're going to uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the stages of grief. Stay with us and join us again right after the break. Hi, I'm Brad Dewar, an inspector with the Ontario SPCA. Every day, Ontario SPCA officers respond to calls of animals being abused or neglected. All animals in Ontario are required to be provided with basic standards of care. If you suspect abuse or neglect, call our toll-free 24-hour call centre at 310-SPCA or 7722. You can also email your complaint to cruelty at ospca.on.ca. Welcome back to Animals Voice Podcast. We're uh, still with Russell Friedman, the director of the Grief Recovery Institute, talking all about how to deal with the grief with the loss of a pet. And Russell, what I want to ask you is, are the stages of grieving a pet the same as they are of, you know, of any other type of grief? I mean, does it make any difference whether you're grieving a human or a career or a pet? Okay, Kevin, are you sitting down? <laughs> yes, I am. Because I'm going to shock and surprise you with my answer. Okay. A different question would be, Russell, are there actually any stages of grief? And the answer would be emphatically no. Oh. There never are, there never have been, never will be. The alleged stages of grief were based incorrectly and loosely on the original stages of dying created by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in the 60s when dying people were interviewed. And, and it was her interpretation of what they were going through, the denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. It never had anything to do with grief. In fact, Elizabeth, even in her first book, said, I will leave the issue of grief to the experts who deal with that because it's not my field. So there has been a war and a battle going on. I wrote an article that was published in Skeptic Magazine in 2008, totally debunking the alleged stages of grief. Now, we don't touch the 
stages of dying, although I personally am not a big fan or believer, and others have debunked them. Uh, and it's kind of the philosophical ideas about feelings. Well, feelings are feelings, and being philosophical or intellectual or analytical about them doesn't help. So there are no stages of grief. I have never met a grieving pet owner or someone grieving the death of a human or grieving a divorce who was in denial that the death had happened. If the pet dies, if your mom dies, you call the funeral home. You don't say there's a vague possibility my mom died, and if so, send a truck to pick up the body. You know, People laugh at that, but people call them and say, my mom died, and they cried, or my dog died, or my dog got hit by a car. People state their grief. They don't deny their grief. They may have a hard time accepting it and dealing with it. It's painful. It's awkward. But the concept of stages has to go away. My job is to help people move about 14 inches from their head to their heart. So if someone calls me and says their pet died, I don't say you're in denial or you're angry. I say, oh, my gosh, how devastating for you. Or watch this. I can't imagine what this has been like for you. And when I say that, Kevin, they tell me. And I just better have enough time to listen and talk. And then, you know, also I I tend to know what to say to guide them when they ask for help. But I never am going to talk about stages. Stages is an academic concept. The reality is broken heart, broken heart, broken heart. Have you ever met, Kevin, a grieving pet owner who doesn't have a broken heart? No. 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 (laughs) So there you have it. So how about the parents that are trying to protect a child from a broken heart? And instead of explaining the reality, whether it's that that animal has passed away or that they have to make a tough choice after they've received advice from a vet to put the animal to sleep, and they tell the child, oh, Skippy the cat has gone to live on a farm or has gone to live with Aunt Anne who lives upstate or something. Like, uh, w- uh, this is a common practice with a lot of parents. What do you think about that? Sure is, and it, one that just burns my wick. It makes me angry. It makes me just want to... Uh, okay, and there's there's so many different angles to it. If I'm addressing a thousand people and that question comes up, I'm going to say, okay, everybody in this audience, how many of you like being lied to? Show of hands. And there won't be one hand up. And then I'm going to say, how many of you have ever lied and said I'm fine when you're not fine? Every hand goes up. So nobody likes being lied to. Everybody lies about feelings. Children don't like being lied to. And it will come back and haunt you because later when that three, four, five, six, or seven-year-old finds out the truth, then they're going to be angry at you for lying to them. And you are supposed to be building trust between and communication between you and your child. So the whole idea of lying to them as a way of not having them feel bad is horrible. Plus, it doesn't prepare them for life. Kevin, loss is inevitable. The, every day that you and I s- stay alive, we have a chance of other losses. You get phone calls or emails. A distant relative has died. Someone you went to high school or college with. Someone got in an accident. Someone's pet got run over. Grief is part of life. So why we teach our children to read and write and do math. Why don't we help prepare them for the inevitabilities? Now, In our book, a different book, our second book is called When Children Grieve, and it's for adults to help children deal with death, divorce, pet loss, moving, and other losses. It's Pet loss is actually on the, on the subtitle of the book. And in the back of that book, one near the end, is a chapter called Four Weddings and a Funeral, based on that famous movie. And in it, we explain the parameters of how much 
truth. You always must tell the truth to your child. You never should lie. It doesn't make sense. But it shows the parameters based on maturity and age and the questions a kid can answer. Again, because if you lie to a child, it comes back to haunt you later. And it makes them, it breaches the one most important thing they have in life, which is a sense of trust, especially of people, you know, their parents. Mm -hmm. And then that breach of trust can extend to their marriages. So as you can tell, I have a lot of passion about that, the lying. I understand it's awkward. And if a child is old, you know, one of the things that's real important is a, a different lesson. When children are little, and I'm socializing, my granddaughter is 26 months old and lives with us. So we're socializing her. So when we're out and we see a leaf that has fallen, we start to talk about how the leaf died and fell off the tree. If we happen to see a dead squirrel or something, we talk about that. And the baby, you know, even at 26 months, she has language. She's learning about death. She's learning. We talk about how sad it must be for the family of the squirrel. So we're introducing, without anthropomorphizing, we're introducing feelings in a correct way about grief and how to deal with it. And I just recommend that every parent be honest, learn how to be honest. They have to learn a little bit about their own feelings of grief before they can help their children. And lying is never a good response. Do you have pets currently, Russell? How many? Yeah. yeah, how many do you have? <laughs> well, not a huge amount. I have my dog, Baxter, who's a Hungarian, Vishla, and he and I have achieved. We, I just retired him from agility. We, uh, we were Mach 6. We had six Masters Agility Championships. Wow. So other than since I've just recently retired him, every weekend we were off at agility trials all over. Also in our home is my stepdaughter's dog, Molly, a little mixed breed, and she and I ran agility too. And just yesterday here at our office, we got a new a new person who's a rescue from, I think, Louisiana, oh. a St. Bernard. Oh. He just came into the world with our Nancy who works here, and I just met him yesterday. In fact, he came in while we've been talking. He snuck in the back door, and he's in a big crate in the other, a real big crate. He's a... <laughs> Uh, Bernie, he's a big guy. And because of being involved in agility, as you can imagine, every weekend I was with hundreds of dogs. Uh, And by the way, when I got to the Institute in 86, because I didn't have a dog. No. Then I met my spouse, Alice, and she had the dog, the one I talked about that we had, uh, you know, take to the bet. And my life was not in any way involved with animals. And now it's almost exclusively (laughs) It's funny how things change. Funny how they can change your lives, huh? Listen, where can our our listeners go to learn more about dealing with the loss of their pet or more to learn about where they can find your great books like the Grief Recovery Handbook for Pet Loss or When Children Grieve? Okay. Uh, But before I answer that, I'm going to tell everyone, whether you want to hear it or not, my favorite prayer. I hope you share it with me. Okay. The prayer is... Lord, please let me be half the man my dog thinks I am. You know? <laughs> when I get home and his tail is wagging, he's just shaking all over. And I say to my wife, honey, could you just do that one time? Would you just shake one time when I get home? She says, fat chance. Anyhow, the grief recovery method, www.griefrecoverymethod.com. All five of our books are there. The pet book is the last of them. The first is the famous grief recovery handbook, which has sold nearly a million copies. Then there's when children grieve then there's moving on which is about the ending of romantic relationships 
Definition of Divorces. Mm -hmm. Then there's a book called Moving Beyond Loss. And our current book is The Grief Recovery Handbook for Pet Loss. Of course, Amazon.com, you know, Borders, Barnes & Noble, all the online booksellers. It is in some bookstores, not all, but it's on every online. And by the way, it's available as a moderately priced ebook. Amazon, Kindle, or Nook, and so on. But on our website, www.griefrecoverymethod.com, there's scores of articles, including articles about the unconditional pet relationship and the death of a pet and what it means. And the articles are all free. They can be accessed. People, you know, nobody's going to bother you to buy anything. Just kind of look at the articles, read them, and get a broader idea of how to deal with your own feelings and how to be more connected to the people in your life by having awareness. You don't share their grief, but you can hear it. And like we said, be a heart with ears. It's the greatest thing you can do. You know, your dog in particular, sometimes your horse, cats, maybe to a different degree. The dogs and cats and other animals have hearts with ears. They are so connected to nonverbal communication because they don't have words that you can sense them. They tell when you feel. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really neat if we can do that with each other without trying to be psychic or anything, just trying to be more connected, more present, and it's really helpful to each other. Oh, tremendous advice. And uh, I'll, tell, I'll tell you something, Russell. I always know when I'm at the end of a good podcast because uh, I've got like a piece of paper in front of me and I've got some of the general questions and, and ideas I want to talk to my guest about. And when I get to the end of an interview and there is a lot of writing on that piece of paper, I <laughs> Well, you should see my piece of paper right now. They're scribbling up the margins on the top, and I've now, I've now flipped it over, and I'm writing on the other side. So thank you so much, Russell Friedman, the director of the Grief Recovery Institute and author of uh, several tremendous books. Uh, I strongly advise our listeners to check out. And uh, thank you so much for your time today, Russell. We appreciate it. Thank you, and thank you for the time and effort you put into t- creating the questions. As I wasn't blowing smoke at you, they were really great. They were different than the norm, and I hope and think very helpful for your listeners. Well, yeah, I have to credit my producer, Emily, who's sitting about two feet away from the microphone and never says a word. She does all of that work and makes my life very easy. So, Emily, kudos. Give her a big hug for me, though. I will do so as soon as we're off the air. And thank you, the listeners of Animals Voice Podcast, for all of your support, show ideas, and sharing the broadcast on social media. You can find me on Twitter, at OSPCA Kevin. Until next time, we'll catch you later. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Animals Voice Podcast. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and at our website, ontariospca.ca. Animals Voice Podcast is a production of the Ontario SPCA. The Society would like to thank all our supporters. Together, we are the Animals Voice.